I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Hello, welcome back from our four-week break off the airwaves. But in that time, we've been working seriously hard on our next event, the biggest day in the Holly & Co calendar, the Congregation of Inspiration 2019. And it's going to be utterly amazing. First of all, our lineup is phenomenal with speakers such as Fern Cotton, Freddie Harrell and Charlie Gladstone, including some of our inspirational podcast alumni such as Pippa Murray, founder of Pip and Nut, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, founder of The Black Farmer, Edward Perry, founder of Cook, Zahar Hashimi, founder of Coffee Republic, Dave Buonaguidi, artist and founder of Karmarama and Emily Coxhead, founder of The Happy New newspaper. There's also going to be an opportunity to shop, eat and drink from your favourite podcast guests. We'll have Andy from Vinegar and Brown Paper selling his beautifully etched glass, Emily Coxhead's Happy Newspapers, Sipsmith Gin on the Bar, Curb Food Traders and Dave will be selling some seriously cool prints. So I just can't believe how lucky we're all going to be. It is the ticket to get if you are a small business or dreaming of starting one. The day will be filled with inspiration, advice and a chance, I suppose, just to make new friends and meet your community. And of course, it will be an Instagrammable extravaganza with so many Holly & Co magical details. And don't forget, the entire ticket is a legitimate business expense. I know we tend to also put ourselves at the bottom of the priority list, especially if you run your own business. But please make sure you invest in yourself. The feedback from last year was just totally stunning. I remember one lady said it was the inspiration she needed to take her forwards from that day to the rest of her life. I mean, wow. I want to give you all that energy and inspiration to either kickstart your business or just spark a huge amount of passion within you. Because remember, you only have 29,000 days on this planet. Don't waste a single moment being unhappy. Our partner NatWest will also be helping to support you on your journey, offering you the opportunity to record your free ad break for this podcast live and helping you with advice on funding and entrepreneurial support. And in true Holly & Co style, we'll also have lots of surprises throughout the day, including goosebumpy entertainment and life-changing content. 
And because we want you to concentrate on what's being said, we'll have a brilliant company scribing the minutes of the day so you don't have to. All you have to do is turn up in your most colourful, glittery, most you attire and relax in your chair, ready to be utterly blown away. I want the day to be life-changing for you and I'm making it my mission to do so. Believe me, every second of my day is putting in every effort and love to make sure all congregation of inspiration attendees have the time of their lives. If you'd like to join the tribe, you can get the last remaining tickets on our website, holly.co. I just cannot wait to see you there. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm chatting to Alan Keary, co-founder of the Serial Killer Cafe. What an incredible episode to launch back in with. I travelled to their awe-inspiring cafe on Brick Lane, where I was greeted with the most mouth-watering delights. A table full of creative, deliciously wacky bowls of cereal. All flavours of milk, cereal savoury delights such as bran flake chips and... I even had a milk tea meat to finish, and believe me, it was strong. What a splendid way to spend the afternoon. Well, hi, Holly. Hi. Welcome to, to Serial Killer Coffee. I have been very excited. I would say seriously excited about you coming. So we're going to start off doing the sweet things first, and then the savoury stuff's going to come up in a minute. So we'll just do it backwards, but then nothing's really that normal here. So I'm giving you little samples of, these are all our killer cereals. Yeah. Which are different combinations of cereal toppings and milk that we come up with. Now this is this is just a little sampler of what we do. So we've got um, I've got things like unicorn poop, salty balls. We've got chili garlic Cheerios. We've got um, birthday cake crunchies. Um, a lot so you get your teeth. This is not my average day in the office. No. I'm telling you now, and I'm about to get a coffee that has some cereal in it, and I know that I'm going to have the best podcast meeting the sweetest podcast meeting ever I was so overwhelmed by Alan's kindness hospitality and encouragement to try everything that I actually forgot I had a podcast to do but we launched straight in with his story as it's a fascinating one we chatted about launching a niche business, which some thought just would never work, gaining media attention from day one and dealing with a completely overwhelming media frenzy when they were targeted with the attacks during the London riots and how they overcame this to then be featured in a London musical plus scaling the business to have a global presence. It was such a fun, inspiring conversation that I know you will love. I am so impressed with the retail theatre and experience Gary and Alan have created. You all must visit. Even your receipt is delivered in a VHS box and your menu is in Garfield annuals that they have sourced from around the world. I just love it when small businesses are obsessive about detail. It's why I'm obsessed with them. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it or eating it. Welcome back. Wow, I am recording a podcast in one of the coolest independent cafes in London, the Serial Killer Cafe. 
It's literally like stepping back into the 90s. There's Spice Girl wallpaper on the wall, a cage of Beanie Babies, colourful crates of shelves and tables, milk bottle pendant lights. And I'm sitting opposite one of the founders, co-founders, who's sitting on a bed, which is... What is this? Power Rangers. Power Ranger oh, sorry, bed. I should have said that in an English accent. Power <laughs> Rangers. <laughs> and sadly, Gary, your co-founder and your identical twin couldn't be here today. Yeah. But I know that we're going to chat and advise and help inspire so many people. And I just can't thank you, Alan, enough for being here and being on this podcast. I know we spoke about it and I couldn't believe that you listened to it. Oh my God, I have been such a fan of your podcast. Like I've listened to so many of them and it's just something about your voice. Something about the way you pronounce every letter and every word. I absolutely love it. You've got a good grip of the English language. (laughs) There is something about your voice as well. I cannot wait to hear more and more of it. Anyway, it's just a pleasure. I've never actually recorded a podcast in an environment like this. We've got music. I've got a milk teeny to hand. I've eaten my my whole weight in cheese and cereal in every possible way. And we're about to start this podcast. And thank you again. So first of all, I'd love to start with your story. You both grew up in Belfast in yep. Northern Ireland. What was your upbringing like, your family life and your schooling? Um. Well... Also, yeah, because Gary's not here, so when I say we, that's who I'm talking about, Gary, yes. not not my multiple personalities, but um, yeah, so when we grew up in Belfast, we were born in 1982, so we were teenagers through the 90s. We didn't come from a very wealthy family at all, we came from quite poor background, um, like we grew up in a two-up, two-down house, my dad was an electrician, my mum was a shop assistant at the time. We weren't poor, to say, like we, we had everything we wanted, but we definitely weren't well off. But it was a very happy upbringing. I remember being a happy kid, had an obsession with cereal and an obsession with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a child. And then things, uh, then it got to high school. And I think that's probably when things got a little bit more difficult, when we started to become who we are, um, because both Gary and I are both gay. And I think growing up in Belfast in the 90s, when there was obviously the troubles and stuff in Northern Ireland, but the only thing Catholics and Protestants had in common then was they all hated gay people. And that was, and that we, both of you experienced that. So have you spent your life, obviously as identical twins, but it really was it that relationship, everything you did together. You went to school together, you experienced these experiences together. Yeah, we've kind of always been side by side. Ironically, he's not here right now, but, you know, we have always spent our, our lives side by side and kind of always kind of pushed each other on and motivated each other. And um, And then when we started the business together, like four and a half, five years ago. Like, it felt like the natural progression for us. So you left Northern Ireland? Yeah. Yes. And you went and worked for Superdry, is that right? Well, Before yeah. it was even called Superdry, it yes. was called Cult Clothing. Yeah. What was that whole experience like? It must have been exciting watching a little unknown brand become such a famous one. And did you do that together? No, Gary never did that with me. So I worked in retail. Gary worked in hospitality at the time and then moved over to sales. Um, But then I started my career in retail because when we were, well, basically when we were 13, we were told, you're not getting any more pocket money. You have to go out and make your own money. So from a very young age, we were taught, if you want to make money, if you want to be successful, you need to go out and do it yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. So we started working. We couldn't afford to go to university. So we kind of 
that wasn't even an option really for us. And then there was a shop called Cult Clothing that opened in Belfast. But it was like this really cool skate shop. And Belfast had seen nothing like it. It was the coolest shop in Belfast. But it was that company, Cult Clothing, that um, started its own brand called Superdry. And I remember the very first Superdry t-shirt arriving into the store. I actually remember buying it. It was Kelly Green. And I wore it to the pink concert that was on in Belfast at the time. Great times. Um, but yeah, so I remember seeing that first Superdry t-shirt come in. So it's crazy to see, to think of where, what, what that has grown into. What you saw and become. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and was retail really all that was available to you at that point in time when you were growing up? You know, that, that sort of draw of retail, was that something that you were fascinated by? Or was it just... It was kind of what I fell into, but I was also quite good at it. And I think back then I felt like I didn't really know what I was good at, what my real strengths were, but I was kind of good at this. So I kind of just went with it. And then Superdrive was uh, obviously kept growing as a company, so I kept growing with them. And I was I w- worked for them from sales assistant, and I worked up to, like, senior store manager. Like, I managed the Regent Street store, like, flagship store. huge. Yeah. I think when I worked there, it was, like, 150 staff. Like, it was crazy. But we, I then, I remember the very first Superdrive Awards, and I was given the Lifetime Achievement Award, which I was very shocked by. Yeah, and also like, see, if you're in if you're in the music industry and you get a lifetime achievement award, it means that you're at the end of your career, really, isn't it? <laughs> so that kind of for me, that was the kind of start of like, what it. is it I need to? What is it? What is it I'm going to do next? What is the next thing that I want to do? And, was... and at that point in time, you were living in London, right? Yeah. In Shoreditch. And that's where you had this business idea, this light bulb moment for the Serial Cafe. Can you tell me about that moment in time? I remember it well. Holly, Gary and I were both hungover as hell. We were in Shoreditch and we were just like, oh God, because you know in Shoreditch there's so many food options. There's like everything here. Yeah. Like, what do we want to eat? What, like, what's going to cure your hangover? And it was just like, you know what would be amazing? A bowl of cereal. Like, it would be so good for a bowl of cereal. And we remember Googling it, going, where could you go and get a bowl of cereal? Well, you can get one. Like, because we, we didn't even realize that it didn't, nothing like this existed. And then we started like Googling, can you get a bowl of work? Is there, a, can you buy a bowl of cereal in a cafe? In the UK, like, where can you get it? And we realized, this doesn't exist. And then, I can't remember what we actually even... Oh, no, we went and bought Shreddies and went home, I think, that day. Right. And then that was kind of like, well, everybody's everybody eats cereal. Like, everybody's buying cereal. Yeah. And they're getting it all, eating, and eating it at home. But this is the only place that people are eating this. That was the kind of light bulb moment. Then, for the next few months, we would talk about it a lot. Like, we would How get, much? Like, we'd get drunk and we'd be like, yeah, so if there was a cereal cafe, what would it be like? What would it sell? Like, we just kept going on about it, like, creating this dream in our heads of what, what we wanted to go to as a cereal cafe. Yeah, yeah. And it just kind of, like, spiraled to the point where, like, do you know what? We were getting so excited by this that we thought, do you know what? We need to make this happen. We need to make this happen. Because around the time, this was back in 2013, around yeah. this time there was a big boom in American candy shops in London especially. There was loads of American candy shops. And I remember, like, I don't even remember going to... Um, these American candy shops and spend £10 on a box of Lucky Charms. We're talking about it so much, it was just like... Were you boring friends yet? Well, I think as well, because Gary and I were, would have always been these people who would just jump on this next idea and we'll, we'll, we'll run with it, but then nothing ever materialised from our days, so we'd always be full, full throttle and then things would fizzle out pretty quickly. Like, I think at one point I, was, I decided that I was going to make my own Amy Winehouse dolls out of Barbie dolls and sell them on eBay, and I think I made, like, two dolls and then gave up. So your friends thought, oh, Here's here we go, one, yeah. here we go, this is what, what's happened. And so what were then those first steps? 
steps into going into business, you know, turning this dream that you'd bored everyone senseless with into reality, saying, right, you're going to show them this is it. What were those first things that you did to kick it off? Do you know what? This is actually quite funny. So the, what we did was we were doing this, we started doing this business plan out, right? And we weren't 100% sure exactly how we were going to make this all happen. We didn't really have any money. We didn't really have great experience in business life, but we were just like, yeah. I mean, other people can start a business, so why can't we? You know, it seemed that it seemed that easy. So we ended up applying for The Apprentice. Did you? Yeah, we applied for The Apprentice in 2000. That must have been 2014. Yeah. So we filled out the application form, Alan and Gary Carey, with this this whole business idea. We got to the auditions, and they went, oh, we thought it was just one application. So we then auditioned. They separated us and put us through as two separate applicants. And Gary got kicked out on the very first round. I got through I got through the whole audition process right to the point where they literally shortlist, you're either in the house or you aren't. And I remember getting the phone call saying, you're not in... In the house. Not in, in, on the show, yeah. So I went through that whole thing. But the good thing about it was, because there was a point where like, oh my God, we might, I might actually be going on The Apprentice, that I finished, we finished the business plan. Me and Gary both worked on the business plan. Yeah. Solidly did this foolproof business plan of what the business was going to be, but then didn't get on The Apprentice. But and it was a good way of getting you to know do what? your homework. Yeah. And at that point, I was literally like, that was it, dead. That was my dream, dead. Oh, but can my you imagine goodness. if imagine if this whole business had started from The Apprentice? It would have been a completely different story. A very different. I, I don't know if I would picture you on The Apprentice. I mean, can you imagine that? I know. <laughs> then yeah, I read that you went to get business advice yeah. from a small business advisor. But they told you that the idea was far too niche and was never going to work. Yeah. So it was basically East London Small Business Centre. Yeah. Gary did like a two, three day course. And it, he said it was a little bit boring anyway, but he said at the end of it, you get a business advisor and that's why he went for it, right? So he went to this business advisor and the business advisor basically said, no one's going to eat cereal after 10 o'clock. You'll never start a business on 40 grand, I think it was that we started on. Um, and you need to sell other things. People won't just eat cereal. And Gary said to him like, it's a cereal cafe. You wouldn't ask a sushi restaurant to sell burgers or anything like that. Like, we, this is the unique thing that we're going for. Um, so I remember meeting Gary after that meeting, and he used to tell me about it, and we were just put, put the just and went, fuck him. Fuck him. We can do this anyway. You knew in your gut that you had something, and you knew that this man giving you advice, just it's a little bit like when you get careers day, isn't it? Careers advisors at school. Yeah. And they, you know, I, I've met someone recently who said that, they, you know, what she was set out to be was a librarian. You know, it's this sort of thing where actually people are out of touch and it's entrepreneurs who are in touch with something. I don't know what it is. It can be a feeling, a trend, a fashion, or whatever it is. But they're the ones that can do this. And negative advice, I think negative advice is amazing ammunition. Some of the reasons why I've always wanted to build businesses, I felt like I needed to prove something to someone or wanted to prove people wrong or do something. And I'm not saying that's the only thing that you think about, mm. but actually having a little bit of negativity there, just sitting there going, someone's waiting for me to fail, is actually a fantastic propeller yeah. for your businesses. And I think also there's such a lesson for anyone who's dreaming of starting a small business listening. So many people will tell you it will never work and there will be so many naysayers and often it can be the nearest and dearest because they care so much about you they don't want you to trip up but if you have that strong feeling if you can't think about anything else if you're boring everyone to death 
if it's all you talk about when you've had too many glasses of wine, if it's what keeps you awake at night and it's the first thing you think about in the morning, for me, that's my thing. Like, you have got to go for it. Yeah, yeah. That, that is the, if the, all of those signals are happening in your life, that is the universe trying to say, get on with it. Yes. So this was you. And you went for it. So I read that you did some market research. Is this something that you would recommend to anyone listening? And how did you go about it? We basically stood a box park with clipboards and had did like like 10 questions to find out if people would actually come go to a cereal cafe. In hindsight, I think 90% of the people said that they would come. But also... I think people will probably just tell you what you want to hear when you do market research like that in a better, a better okay. way. It looked good for the business plan. Yeah. But was it accurate to what the result of what the business actually turned out to be? Not really, because it turned out that some people absolutely hated us and some people absolutely loved us. Yes, we, we go on to talking about some of the other reactions that you had. But tell me, one of the big blockers for people starting their small businesses is funding. Yeah. You know, it really, really is. Uh, ultimately, it's what... It, has to have that foundation and I know that you actually started out with a Kickstarter campaign which didn't go to plan could you share your sort of experience with getting financial backing and what advice you would have for anyone who's struggling and what that experience was like for you Mm -hmm. so we were going through getting a bank loan at the time anyway so we thought like let's just do a crowdfunder at the same time so we launched this crowdfunding campaign and also at this time, I just had an operation on my toe. So I was lying on the sofa for like three weeks. And I used that time to teach myself video editing because I was looking at this crowdfunded campaign. I was like, you need a punchy video. You yeah. need a punchy video. And I was like, how are we going to do that? So I ended up spending three weeks on the sofa learning how to video edit and then created this actually quite good video that was all just quite very cheap, very thrown together, but worked really well for what the, the brand was going to be. We did this whole crowdfunding campaign and we were like, oh, this is going to be amazing like we're gonna we're gonna hit 100 percent of our you know yeah, target targets. within three days the final target we got one one percent funded one percent funded of this crowdfunding campaign i can't believe that but this is another thing that like you're saying like a lot of people get you get a lot of no's and you get a lot of people saying you shouldn't do it we had that in spades throughout the thing from friends to family to the crowdfunding campaign being one percent at some point some people might have went do you know what? Maybe this isn't right. Maybe. Maybe the universe is really yeah. trying to now tell you that you shouldn't yeah. be doing this. But like you said, first thing you wake up in the morning, you couldn't stop talking about it and it was all consuming. You, mm-hmm. I knew 100% mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my heart that this would not only be amazing, but it was going to happen. And so you hit that point of not the 100%. You still had a one in the number, but yeah. it was just, just one, a just zeros, a couple of yeah. zeros. And... You thought, okay, so we didn't get the money there. Yeah. So what did you do? We got um, money through Virgin Startup, mm. which was very, very good. The whole process, they worked through your business plan. I think our business plan was five pages to begin with, and I think it was 60 pages because they kept giving you feedback and feedback and feedback before it was submitted for approval for a, from a board who would give you the money. So that allowed you to then have enough money to start – but I do know from talking to you before how much you bootstrapped this to launch it. Yeah. You needed to find a property. You you decided that, what, this had to be an experience, of course. It's yeah. a cafe. It wasn't an online thing. You were going to come to the Serial Cafe and you secured a prime location on Brick Lane. I can only imagine that that was not an easy process. No, it was the whole process of finding a property was the next nightmare 
So we were meeting people and we were going to see these properties and we were like, oh, this is great. This is, this is just the perfect property. They'd either, first of all, they'd hear that it was a brand new business and a lot of landlords would just go, nope, not no. interested. Then if we got past that hurdle, then it was like, what is the business? And it was like, oh, it's a cereal cafe, blah, blah, blah. And then you just get, you'd never hear from people again. So there was like quite a lot of properties that we went to that we never heard from again. So how did you then secure the one that you got? Um, we found there was one landlord on Brick Lane that actually they lived above. They owned the whole building. So it was just a couple um, that lived above it and we they rented us the shop below. And liked you. They Obviously, liked us, yes. liked the business, liked the yep, idea. Okay. They felt like, like... cereal? I don't even... They, they never came in for a bowl. No, they were coming oh, in for a coffee the old okay. time. But I think they wanted Brick Lane to stay true to what Brick Lane is about independence and stuff, which was quite nice of them. Yeah, and I remember you saying that actually you turned around the space in how long? Six days. I mean... Like now, as a lady a, who's opened a couple of spaces, yeah. six days. Yeah, and we never hired anybody to do it. It was all me, Gary, my mum and dad came over to help out, painting, putting things up. Um, and then we had a load of friends that we roped in just to get the place, like to build the place and get it. Because every week that passed, that was a week you could have been trading. Yeah, and also this was the very start of December. So we were like, we got it in the November. And then we were like, we need to be open before Christmas. We need yeah. to be open before Christmas. So we were like... You know what? You give yourself five days to do something, you'll do it in five days. Give yourself three weeks, you'll do it in three weeks. It's so true. And you opened and it was this beautiful space. And it's so cool, so inspiring. You worked your butts off. And as I said, I have a place in in St. Margaret's and I know what it's like to open. Anyone that's listening that's opened a physical space, there's actually nothing like it. It's like it's like changing rooms on acid, but let's risk all of your reputation and yeah. all of your wealth on this yeah. as well. And, you know, and you have the first customers coming in. What was that like? Because it literally must have felt like kids in a sweetie shop. You yeah. know, this must have been that first day, you know, that first day of people coming in. It was glorious. Well, I think for us, it was kind of, it, ex- it all started way before we opened the doors because we had, a, when we opened the doors, we had a queue, people queuing for three hours to get My in it goodness. was unbelievable what happened there why was there such a pre-pr spectacular because event going on when we when we did our crowdfunding campaign it was one percent funded but we were like yeah let's do you want to take the negativity of that or do you want to take the positive things out of it which was we had an article in time out yeah in the metro and the evening standard i think all wrote about our crowdfunding campaign so we were literally like, oh my god this is great like we've got all this we then found when it came to us getting the property we wrote a press release. I didn't even know how to write a press release. I literally Google how to write a press release. <laughs> Threw something together. I mean, it was pretty good. And then find the people that wrote the articles before, the actual journalists that wrote the articles about yes. our crowdfunding. Emailed our things direct. Find our email addresses. Emailed the press release directly to them. They all wrote, wrote about it. And then it's absolutely snowballed. It started going for way more lo- local London press. And then it started going to UK. And then it just started going global. It was, and so it went global. Tell me about this. It went global before you opened before the doors. Before we opened the doors. Before I mean, we even you the doors, must yeah. have been painting those walls going, what's about to happen? Yeah. Here? Tell me about some of the places that it appeared. Oh, God, where was it? There was even Mashable. I think it had like um, 150,000 shares on, a ma- on Mashable. Basically, the reason why it went so far, went global, was because it split opinion. And this mm-hmm. is what we, we kind of knew from the beginning because some people thought it was great and some people hated it. But from the very beginning, from those the Time Out article when we first 
did a crowdfunding, there was comments on it. Some people went, this is absolute hipster bullshit. This is the next thing in the shit hipster timeline. Um, and then other people were like, this is serial heaven. I cannot wait to go here. So it caused people to either absolutely love it Mama. or absolutely hate it. But be, both sides were incredibly vocal about it. Every week, there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast. And it's all thanks to our partner, NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs. And so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity worth thousands and thousands of pounds, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. So without further ado, this week's winner of the NatWest Independent Ad Break is Calm in a Box. Over to you. Hi, I'm Sarah from Calm in a Box. Women have always been superheroes in our view, but now more than ever, with the pace of life today, we think every woman could do with some calm in a box now and again. Calm in a box is the ideal gift for a friend, colleague or loved one, or just for you, to take some time out now and again. We have some gorgeous, high quality and natural well-being and calming products from a range of lovely artisan suppliers. You can select three, five or ten products to go in the box, along with a personalised message to send some calm with love. Order through the website www.calminabox.co.uk and check out the Instagram page at calminabox for everyday calming ideas and inspiration. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. So you had this incredible moment, three hour queues, wanting to come in. You guys are taking your paintbrushes, throwing those out the door, putting on your aprons, welcoming the public into your beautiful shop, having the first, is that right, 24 hours, basically, of amazingness. And then there's this infamous moment where it attracted even more press attention and it came down with this Channel 4 TV news reporter came to interview you on the second day of trading. And I know it was Gary who took that interview. Mm -hmm. But if you can, would you be able to tell us about that moment? Well, it was actually, that was actually the very first day. Yeah. But the day before we opened to the public, we actually had a press day. Oh, I've got you. Because we thought there was so much hype about it. We give BuzzFeed the exclusive first look. But then on the day before we had BBC... Um, CNN, ABC, all these huge news channels were covering us before we'd even opened the doors. But Channel 4 were supposed to come down on the press day and they didn't come down on the press day. And the guy came in and spoke to Gary. First of all, we had a queue out the door. Like, we 
didn't I have saw. time, right? I saw. Um, and this guy came in, oh, can we do the interview? And Gary was like, no, you were supposed to come down yesterday. Like, I've got a queue of customers out the door. And he went, please just let us do the interview. I'll just stand here and interview you while you're serving. So you can see in the video as well, Gary's yeah. clearly in busy when he's being interviewed. And Gary was like, fine, okay, yeah, you can interview me. Um, and then the guy said, do you think it's right selling cereal for this amount in the local area? And Gary was like, why? And the guy's like, well, because this is the poorest borough. And Gary thinking, oh, is it? Like, and they were like, but there's children that live in Tower Hamlets that can't afford to eat breakfast. And you're selling bowls of cereal for three pounds something, yeah. Um, it was, I actually watched the interview last night on YouTube and I couldn't believe it. I put myself in your small business shoes on your first day of trading. Yeah. I mean, Everything that you must have been feeling, you know, you've had all this press and also you're just a founder. You're just two guys setting up, not slept all night before, opening up to the public, all that excitement, all those dreams coming in and how you would have dealt with anyone asking those difficult questions. And it actually was... It was soul destroying for some of the comments. As you said, you were being, you know, you were standing up for independent businesses. That's what you were doing, which was brilliant. And then you had all that support. But then you also had all of this negativity. And then it spiraled and it led to your business being targeted in the London riots. Your cafe was attacked by protesters wearing pig masks and carrying lit torches. And I mean, that sounds almost like funny because we're sitting in this unbelievably amazingly bonkers environment but this is very serious this is what happened to you for the listeners who may not have heard what happened to your business at the time can you tell in your words that story that was an absolute crazy time we have been open i think nine months by this point and we had a manager in the cafe that gave us a phone we were me and gary were at home we had a phone call it was like eight o'clock i think on a saturday night or friday night and we had a phone call and the guy said there is about 200 people standing outside wearing pigs masks and they've got torches and they're throwing paint at the front of the cafe they wrote they spray painted scum on front of the in the front of the cafe they uh, the manager had to barricade the doors closed there were still customers in the cafe at the time there was like little kids they all had to be moved all the customers were moved downstairs like people were feared feared for their life and it was a terrible situation that anyone would have to be in but yeah there was just all these 200 people standing outside so we got the phone call and we were like shit so we phoned the police. The police told us not to go down. There were riot fans that were on their way um, to disperse the crowd. But yeah, they were throwing paint at the front of the cafe, smoke bombs, tried to throw smoke bombs into the cafe. Um, they actually threw Tesco Value cornflakes all over the front of the cafe. I mean, what an insult. I know, Tesco Value. And also, yeah, if they're pr- protesting against big corporations and gentrification and they're shopping in Tesco's, do you know what I mean? So what was it about? What were they What were they petitioning? It was an anti-gentrification parade. So it was uh, by a group of activists called the Fuck Parade. And they seen us as the, the reason for, gen- or the poster boys for gentrification in Shoreditch. And the, like, uh, pretty much the, everything that's wrong with society these days, that we are selling breakfast cereal, that the hipsters are taking over, gentrification, and we were just targeted for it. It's terrifying opening up your own place, let alone having to deal with something so extreme. And it could never have even crossed your mind that this could have ever happened to you. And you have the usual fears, fears of cash flow and staffing and customers. But, you know, you were then starting to be physically attacked. And it's not, you know, 
where's your media training? How are founders in this sort of situation meant to even deal with it? And you said that you actually felt like the most hated men in London. How did you carry on? How did you deal with something like that? Because you started to become in the public eye. I think for me, it kind of, I've always had quite a thick skin anyway. And I think that comes from growing up probably gay in Belfast and being probably bullied and not like kind of standing up for myself that I don't let people walk all over me the way maybe I used to. So for me, it never I never really let things go to my heart because I never really seen the truth in it. And I thought it was all just kind of crazy that this was even happening to us. And for Gary, is it the same? Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah. We're both quite thick. And also because we were going through it together that we could yeah. motivate each other. I can imagine it would be different I'm, if it yeah. was uh, you were going through something like this on your own. But yeah, because I remember the evening that it happened, and I remember thinking, fuck, I think this might make the news. And that was on a Saturday night, so the Sunday papers had already gone out. But then the next day, or the Monday morning, I was being driven to Sky News at 6am, and then I was doing an interview with Vanessa Feltz on the way back to the cafe to meet um, five other reporters that were waiting, waiting to speak to us. And it was all literally like, we have been thrust into this debate of gentrification and I didn't even know how to spell the word on the Friday night, you know, and then all of a sudden Saturday I'm the, the middle of it. But yeah, because we're from Belfast, right? We're from a very working class area. In Belfast, you wouldn't really get gentrification. You'd be like, that's a shithole now. It's a nice area. That's a good thing. So when us being here in London and um, now all of a sudden it's a bad thing and gentrification's terrible and we were the poster boys of it, we felt like, first of all, we're not letting anybody walk all over us. We're not being bullied and we need to stand up for ourselves and small business owners and I think the thing that motivated us through that as well, well, obviously each other, but then also we would get some amazing emails and letters and comments from other people because a lot of people seen the story and went, what the fuck, that's crazy that anyone would even do that. So they would then jump on either supporting us or supporting the other side. And Gary then op- um, wrote an open letter to Channel 4, which then went viral yeah. and caused many articles to be written supporting you in your enterprise. Some of the headlines were, why outrage at Shoreditch Cafe controversially serving pricey bowls of cereal is misplaced. In defence of the cereal killer cafe, why lazy hipster bashing won't solve equality. Serial Killer Cafe is just a symptom of gentrification, not the cause. And even Boris Johnson, um, now our Prime Minister, stepping in and wrote a piece in The Telegraph with the headline, Don't Murder the Serial Killers, We Need People Just Like Them. And I wanted to read the last paragraph, as it's something that we should really listen to. It says, We should be hailing anyone who starts a business in this country. We should acclaim them for overcoming all the obstacles that governments put in their path. The rates, the employment law, the health and safety. It is a great thing we want to open a place of work in one of the poorest boroughs in Britain. We don't need journalists endlessly bashing the wealth creators of this country. And sometimes we need to be a little less cynical and a bit more encouraging. These are the times when we should be boosting our enterprise culture. When someone has come up with a wacky business proposition that will create jobs and bring in tax revenue and boost our neighbourhood. This just must have been all so very surreal. Yeah. What happened when you came out of this? And have you come out of it? Um, the whole story of it and the whole conversation continued for a, couple, like a year, over, well over a year, and people always still wanted to talk about it. Any interviews that we were doing, they wanted to talk about it because, again, that story went global again. And we were doing interviews in Canada and like all over the world because 
the subject of gentrification in poor areas becoming like artists and hipsters taking over and then then it being unaffordable for people to live is happening all over the world. So it was an interesting news story for for everyone. Yeah. Like all over the world. So it was quite um, interesting. But I think coming out of it, I felt motivated and supported from local community because we would have a lot of people coming in and going, the voice, the people that had that riot do not live in the area. They are not the voice of the people in the area. We had a lot of local business owners coming in just saying, you know, we're, we fully support you. We've had business owners come in and say, since you've moved in, you've brought a huge amount of tur- um, tourist trade to the area, which has increased their revenue. So there's all these things that were actually, I could only see the positives out of it because I wouldn't like just ignore the negatives and didn't read the, the hate comments. So it was all just focusing on the positive side of things. It's so quick, isn't it, that people are so cynical and want to sort of squash dreams. And I actually used to get, not a lot, but the negativity sometimes from not on the high street was that products were too expensive. And I used to explain that actually, you know, the reason that you might think something's more expensive than what you perceive to be the right value is because each of these products are made by hand. They're packaged by hand. They have to pay themselves, their living, their rates, their taxes. And actually, for us to survive or not on the high street to survive or someone to survive, you know, we have to make sure that these costs are covered and make a small margin, you know, not make the large margins that corporations make or anything like that. And when it comes to explaining small business it's actually very unique you know the point is is that there you were starting an independent business it was bringing joy to the area bringing joy to people you have told me how hard you worked I mean you worked your butts off and no one looks behind the founders behind the people to what it actually means to support an independent you know Mm -hmm. this is the whole point and yet everyone was using you as this article but you were just two guys starting up an independent cafe yeah yeah you were asking people to vote with their money to support these you know bricks and mortar and actually support your dream that was it yeah and i think that one of the things that kind of pissed me off more about it was gary and i come from a very working class background so we know what growing up not wealthy is like like it's not like we never could afford breakfast but it's not like we were portrayed as these middle-class white hipster guys in the press, which is just not true. And then I think the funny thing was as well, The Sun did an expose on the people that organised and were in the parade, and they were all people that have bought and sold ex-council houses, all these people that live in West London, none of them were from East London. It was all just people that were there to cause, to get headlines. And they knew, I think they even said, if they had have attacked a bank or a housing development which they have done before they get no press they attacked us and the story goes gets headlines and then they accused us of milking it and as much as I like the pun (laughs) (laughs) I find it incredible moving on to something that I would say is your mastermind specialist subject what is your all time favourite cereal I know it's going to be hard like choosing a favourite child but yeah. tell me, what do you think it is? Do you know what I would say? And I'm actually, see where I set? Yeah, I can see a, a box on display over there. Banana Bubbles. Banana Bubbles, what is that? Banana Bubbles was a cereal that was in the 90s, the Kellogg's made in the 90s in the UK. It was a banana milkshake flavoured like Rice Krispie that turned the milk into banana milkshake. 
Oh, yes. And they only made it in the 90s. And since then, I have tried to get banana bubbles back on the shelves with no luck from Kellogg's. But I feel like if I die, I want, before I die, I'm going to get a box of banana bubbles, either in my mouth or on <laughs> shelves. That's my goal. So absolutely banana bubbles. And what are some of the most wackiest, sort of most popular, interesting cereal collections or boxes that you've now... Because you import a lot, don't you? We import a lot of your cereals. Yeah, well, we... Like all the bowls of cereal that we sell here, it's all cereal that you can't really get in the UK. We import it all from all over the world, from America does the best stuff, but we get stuff from Portugal and Spain and South Africa and Israel and Australia and loads of different places. We don't want somebody to come in here and go, can I have a bowl of Cocoa Pops? No. Because you can sit at home and eat that. And it's like, if you're going to come here, you're not going to leave here going, oh my God, I went to the Sierra Kelly Cafe. I had that best bowl of Cheerios. You know, you're not like, if you're coming here, you're having something unique, something different, something incredible. And that's why we don't really sell, we don't sell anything you buy in Tesco's really. Tell me about, you've got now your own branded cereal. What was that whole project like? So yeah, that's kind of been a bit of a stop-start project for us. We know that it's always been our dream to create our own cereal line. But the problem was that with the manufacturing process, if you want to create your own brand of cereal and your own line of cereal, you're talking tons and tons. Mm. And we couldn't commit to that with the shelf life that it had just to be sold through our cafe. So we would need third-party retailers and stuff for it. But we also don't want to sit in a supermarket. We want to create something that is incredible, treat cereal that is not going to be eaten for breakfast. People these days, a lot of people these days, millennials, don't eat cereal for breakfast. They're eating it at nighttime. They're eating it for a treat. They're eating it instead of a dessert, that kind of thing. So we want to position ourselves as the Ben and Jerry's of the cereal market. So to test the market with them, we've started pretty much mixing different cereals that we could buy in bulk. We were mixing them in boxes with different toppings and things on them, different other ingredients and selling them by the box, which proved really well, but it was just a nightmare to literally hand box and 500 yes. boxes of cereal, you know? Yeah. So we've now then started working with different manufacturers and doing testing and things of it. So it is going to come out soon, but it's just not, it's just, oh, it's not as so simple long. as what you might perceive yeah. it to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And then you've now moved into savoury food, which obviously I'm now so full I'm not eating for a week, but that I've tasted your entire menu and cocktails. You started off with the sweet side of things, yeah. but you were just mentioning that you wrote a book within how many... Oh, we got a book deal about two months after opening the cafe, and it's literally like, you want me to write a book? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so you wrote that book and I've been looking through and you had your savoury ideas in that book. Yeah. So was that idea of actually not just the sweet side of things, but the actual savoury side and I'm now drinking my milk teeny as well and the alcohol side of things, was that always in your mind? Yeah, it was always in our mind. So the original Brickley and Cafe that we had, we had a three year lease there. So once that lease was up, we wanted to find a new location. And this one that we're sitting in now came up like a few months before the old one finished and it came with alcohol license and it came with a full kitchen so it was literally like and it was across the road and two doors down it, yeah. the timing of it was literally perfect so we took on this place and that, that was when we knew that we could start developing the business because we couldn't do it before because we never had kitchen it was all just counter service so we really started developing it here now there's a few reasons why we did it first of all when we opened we were the first people in the world to have a zero, an international zero cafe that was selling zeros from all over the world very first people to do it since then, there's probably been about 100 people who no, have copied us. No, 100? About a hundred. Well. Really? I might be rounding up, Holly. But okay, but 
a lot. But a lot, yeah. And a lot of them opened and closed very quickly. There was one in Kingston. There's been one in Leeds. They've both closed. Um, there's one in Manchester called Black Milk. They're still doing quite well. and it's uh, But they're not exactly the same as us. But, um, but yeah, all, every country in the world pretty much has a Zero Cafe. It's incredible. So it's this kind of thing that we started that had been replicated so many times. But that's then everyone was literally copying everything that we did. So we were literally like, well, we need to stay one step ahead. So that's when we were like, well, let's start. Let's put savory food on the menu. Mm. So because as well, we would get families coming in, like parents and kids. The kids would come in and they'd have a bowl of cereal. The parents would sit opposite them and stare at them. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And it was like, oh, maybe they would have a black coffee. And it was like, yeah, right, we've on. got people sitting here, here in our cafe not spending a penny. We need to have something to please everybody. And then that's when the whole dream of what about a cereal everything restaurant? So like we could just do everything a restaurant does, but have cereal in every ingredient. So like burgers, cornflake chicken, cereal milk ice cream, cocktails, fries covered in brown flakes, everything with cereal in it. And as I said to you earlier, it was really, really good food. And then you realize there's cereal in it yeah. that way around rather than a gimmick or anything like that. But you've not only have you now moved into larger premises here, but you expanded internationally, which is incredible to achieve in what, six years that you've been, six years you've been going? Four, like four and three quarter years we've oh been my open goodness. So, so yeah. yeah, to do that. So you have, your in London, Brick Lane, Camden, and then you have a cafe in Dubai and one in Kuwait City. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So when it was weird because before we'd even opened the doors, we had people requesting franchises. So we were having all these people request some franchise. And then when we opened, it was kind of like, well, how do we do this? What does we do? So then it was this whole, like, do we franchise or license? And then the whole franchise thing seemed really complicated. So we were like, well, why don't we license? So we had like a... And who advised you? Because, that you know, you're talking as if you've been running a, a few, you know, multi-million pound businesses before here. Because you're literally not even open. You don't know properly how to serve your cereal yet. You haven't even done it. And yet you're having to deal with licensing versus franchising. Yeah, it was, well... Are you Googling this? Yeah, pretty much. A yeah. lot of it, this is what me and Gary do. A lot of it's just like trial and error. Like we do something and we go, oh, we fucked that up. So let's, uh, we'll not do that again. Let's try it again. But yeah, but the whole licensing thing, it was kind of like, we had a lawyer who was like a special licensing lawyer who was giving us advice on it. In hindsight, that was the worst advice we could have taken. We were taking advice off somebody that we're paying, so they were giving us advice in their best interest. Right. I think we ended up give, like spending 60 grand to our lawyers in the first year over so fucking contracts. Money. It was crazy. But we opened three cafes in the Middle East at the same time, Kuwait, Dubai, and Jordan. And then since then, Qatar has opened. Um, both Jordan and Qatar closed within six months because a lot of it was me and Gary figuring out how to how do you license things and we were like well we're figuring it out as we go along we kind of did it completely wrong we let other people design stores so we kind of did a brand bible let Qatar take the brand bible and design a store but then it felt like a shit imitation of what our cafe was which had also been replicated so many times yes. it was kind of like another bad replication yes. of it because what we have sold from the very start was the experience and it was the experience from when people enter that door until they leave, everything was thought out. But So if you let somebody else do it, the takeaway, that's that magic gone. So it was kind of like, it was a lot very confusing because we knew that we created something that was magical, but then we were getting somebody else to try and replicate that. So how did you overcome that? Did you go over there? We went over there, the Dubai store. So basically the Dubai store is the only one that's doing well. 
because I designed the store, because it was so bad when it first opened, the store was completely redesigned. It's doing well. Qatar opened closed. Jordan opened closed. And that was a learning experience also. Like, do you know what? Maybe we should, like, if you look back, were the, pe- the two guys that ran the Jordan store the best people to open up? Absolutely not. They were literally a, two brothers. They were a bit clueless like us. They didn't really know what they were doing. So we then, oh, yeah, they're just like us. Yeah, we'll work so well. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, they ended up losing a lot of money. It wasn't so much so bad for us. Yeah. But it was the same yeah. as the Qatar. Like, you've got these people opening and copying the store. But this is like, why are you paying us so much money mm. if you're going to want to do it yourself and just put our brand on it? Is internationalization now still what you want to do? Well, we've closed all applications for international or for any franchising because we were working on the business and the menu and figuring out what exactly it was we were doing. Um, but also we were getting 10 to 20 emails a week of people asking us for franchises. We've never actively went out and sold. So we were getting people coming to us. And a lot of it is kind of like we are running this business and we sold before we really knew how to even operate a license, how to operate a franchise model. So in hindsight, it wasn't good, but... It was also a huge learning experience for us. And one that you might use in the future? Oh, definitely, yeah. So we just had the Dubai cap, the uh, guy from Dubai had came over this week and we've had a meeting with him about the second location that they're opening in Dubai and the whole new menu because the, they're still offering the old kind of counter service, just bowls of cereal. Now they're going to be adding in all the, um, the full experience that we deliver here with the savoury food, the cereal milk coffee, cereal milk ice cream, everything. They'll offer that in Fantastic. Dubai. So it's all about... Because for us, everything has been about the experience before well, the product. It is. From the second you walk in, and this is something that, you know, I'm fascinated. I know that we've spoken about, but it's this detail, the detail you have gone into, the fact you're sitting on a bed, the music that we're listening to, to the light shades, to the uh, menu, to absolutely everything. And it's that thing that Bill said on our podcast from Bill's, you know, it's the theatre. It's the theatre that's missing. And if I think about many, um, many, many businesses, and I look at the ones who are talking to me um, from from an experience point of view, there are very few, but you're right there. Yeah. Little old you, you know, the small little business, actually so many huge businesses should be taking note because you've thought about everything from the second I walk in to how we're interacting, how I can tell everybody about it. It's just this magical thing. And it really is amazing. And I can't actually quite believe you've been going four years. We're talking about franchising. We're talking about licensing. We're talking about the fact, well, that you had a book. And am I right in saying they've made a musical of your lives? Yes. I mean, stop it. Hi, funny is that? I mean, they made a musical of your lives. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not shabby stuff. Did you ever think anyone would make a musical on you? Does anybody ever think that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because as a little gay boy from Belfast, you know, it literally is. I was dancing around Greece too throughout my childhood. So to even think then that I would have a musical written about me is. It's like a dream that you would never have. So tell me about it. Is it where is it on? It's in development at the moment. So yeah. it went through like basically an Andrew Lloyd Webber scheme to find new musicals and it like it won the first one and then it got it's the last time it was on for like a five day run for uh, it was a two hour show. So they're developing it more after that and then they're um have set their sights on the West End. So you're gonna have a premiere? 
Oh, God, yeah. The red carpet, I'm sure, with... Fruit loops all over it, probably, Fruit loops everywhere. That outfit, I can imagine it's going to be very, very serious. But tell me then, so we've got musicals, we've got a book, we've got franchises. Tell me what... There can't be more that you want to do, or is there? Oh, course there is see i'm just saying when these people have always come up with the next idea and start working on it so we're actually launching a subscription box next month next couple of months so it's going to be online soon to be able to buy um but it's basically yeah once a month you'll get a really cool interesting box of cereal but you'll also get a flavoring to add to the milk which will complement your box of cereal and you'll get toppings to go on that box of cereal as well amazing and there'll be limited edition rare kind of interesting cereals from all over the world and that's launching soon. Yeah, I think, well, let's say so. I'm not going to put any dates no, on this. don't put any dates but on. But check out serialkillercompany.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to the end of this podcast. And I know so many people are going to be very, very inspired by this conversation. But at the end of my interviews, I use the analogy that running your own small business is being on an epic roller coaster. Now, you have had a serious roller coaster. Can you tell me one of your greatest lows since running this business one of the lowest points was possibly when the riots had happened because i never really knew what was going to happen after that and where that kind of left me but it instilled a bit of fear that because we had we had the police we were able to had direct line to the police that if anybody came to attack us it was very scary we had had death threats so there was a point there like, should we be putting ourselves in a firing line like this about this when we don't know who the hell is out there and what they could do? So that was yeah. definitely a huge low point. I actually can't still quite believe you had to you had to go through that. Yeah. It was, it's not fair that you had to go through that. And conversely, your greatest high? I would say definitely the sit and watching that musical about our lives, a two-hour show with singing and dancing. <laughs> Like, I think it's also, like, as a high, like, there's things that I've done and I've created and I've made, like, the cafe is obviously a huge high. And I get thrilled when I have, when I, if I'm ever working here, like, I'll be, like, on the floor and a customer comes up to me and says, are you, are you the owner? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, this place is incredible. You are genius. I love that feedback. I love that this, that people actually love, not just, like, love what we've created. That, and I get that high. Mm. two three times a week it's like a drug definitely oh gosh it's that time of the podcast where i hand over to you to read a letter that you've written to your younger self Mm -hmm. but before you start i just want to say thank you because i don't know what you've written but only meeting you a few times you're an incredibly special person and what you've been through is more than many have to go through in their entire career so just thank you so much for sharing a piece of your soul with us today thank you thank you dear alan i'm writing this letter to you from the future we have robot assistants in our homes cars that drive themselves and you'll have so much cereal that you could fill a swimming pool with it And you're going to love it. Now, this also might come as a little bit of a shock to you, but there's actually nothing wrong with you. You might be a weird little teenager, but you're going to be an even weirder adult. And one day you'll realize that it doesn't matter what other people think of you. And once you stop caring about what other people's opinions are, you're going to have a much better time. So quit bloody moaning about your differences and start embracing them because it's only when you truly start being yourself that's when the magic is going to happen. 
You'll spend years thinking that you have no particular talent, but that is all lies. You just haven't found out what you're good at yet. So I wish that you would try more stuff, and I wish you would fail more times, because you'll never know what you're good at until you start trying. Yeah, you're not great at school, and you're absolutely right. School is a pile of shit. But I know that you truly believe that you're destined for something more than just a normal life. And I just want you to keep on believing and dreaming because you'll sculpt out a pretty fun life for yourself in the future. But it is going to be a roller coaster, and I know that we both hate roller coasters, but this one's going to be a good one. I know you think that going to uni might be a bit of a mistake for you, but trust me, it will work out pretty good for you in the future, and you'll save yourself all the debt. Your 20s are going to be a wild ride of self-discovery, and you'll discover a lot more than yourself. But to be honest, it won't really be until your 30s that you'll really understand who you are and what you're on this planet for. So keep on dreaming because you're at the start of one hell of a journey that will be turned into a musical. I know, a musical of your life. Seriously, it does get this good. (laughs) You are brilliant. You and Gary have been through so much and I can't congratulate you enough for what you've done. Um, Poverty and gentrification are serious problems that need to be addressed. But this needed to not be the time or place that it was addressed. And every day I meet entrepreneurs that are using their businesses as a force for good. Do people know that you give local children who can't afford to eat cereal? No, they don't. And this is the point, is that no one should take at face value what founders are. Founders are living, emotional beings who are giving everything that they are to the cause and to this beautiful business and it's just amazing so I think that we everyone anyone who thought badly of this should you know apologize and just say you've done an amazing thing Alan Gary you have created something that we should be so proud of and I'm so proud to know you I cannot wait to follow your future I am one of your biggest cheerio cheerleaders that you could ever have and for anyone who hasn't been here please come these are the nicest guys and the best business and you're you're inspiring so thank you so so much thank you thank you thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast it wouldn't exist without them and I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping it's great to partner with an organization that believes in empowering business owners to make use of their free NatWest business hub which is full of information tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals go to natwestbusinesshub.com Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025? To help female founders launch and scale their business, they have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding. Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with Crowdfunder. But the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not on the High Street or even Holly & Co. 
Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more. Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you, and I want everyone to have that fulfillment. Happiness is the new rich, and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come